All right, it's, it looks like <laughs> we are live here. Let's just, yeah, it looks like we got sound and everything, so I think we're good to go. Good morning, everybody, or afternoon or evening, depending on your time zone. Um, yeah, let's just, yep, there we go. Excellent. Welcome to another edition of uh, Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions, this time based on what you're putting in the comments here today. Uh, Of course, uh, I will do my level best to get to, or I will definitely get to all the super chats, any questions that come in that way. I want to uh, welcome uh, Christine Wilson as a critical supporter of the show. We've gotten a few membership signups since I turned that on last week. And I really, really appreciate the support from you guys. So thank you very much for that. Um, and of course, welcome uh, everybody to the show. So excellent. Yeah, everybody's uh, coming in good. Hey, critics. What a week, huh? So, um, you know, I've stretched a little bit beyond the bounds of uh, my normal content in the last couple of Friday live stream shows that we do here, Critical Conversations. Uh, we talked about AI last week, or the week before last, and then this last Friday. I went in on, um, you know, kind of some commentary and some and some thoughts I was having that nobody else was saying um, at all in the media because, of course, I was trying to maybe be, um, you know, a little bit more unifying <laughs> than some media outlets are out there uh, on the topic of uh, Trump's indictment and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, very, very, oh, hey, wow, and another uh, supporter here, Mimi, thank you very much for signing up as a member of my channel. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, um, okay, so let's, we're doing this show here this week to uh, to answer your questions. So as they come in here, I will pick them up and let's see if I can throw them on the screen. Oh, by the way, before we get going on that, um, I've got to mention that just this morning, Tracy McManus dropped uh, a story that's been anticipated for a couple weeks now uh, in the Tampa Bay Times about Clearwater and some shenanigans, this, some behind-the-scenes shenanigans with real estate development and um, paying for parcels of land, how those parcels get paid for or run. Apparently, there might be. There's reporting that indicates Um, Through back channel email communications, it looks like there might be some kind of conspiracy of some kind between uh, Scientology, the Church of Scientology and its members, and some out-of-town bigwig developer who's coming in and and apparently saying he's going to develop these properties. You know, Clearwater is not a place I understand very well. I've only been there a couple times. And the city politics and the land development deals and all the various parcels of land and where they are and all that, that's not my thing. I'm not not familiar enough with that territory to to talk about that in detail. But, you know, so maybe some of these land deals and some of... um, What's going on is possibly favorable for the city or for development purposes or something like that. I, you know, I don't know. But what I do know is that when Scientology has its hands in something, it is always, always going to be worse than you think. And the results are never what you think they're going for. They're always, 
always got some twist because um, it is the, the Church of Scientology is one of the most self-serving um, organizations or, you know, destructive cults, high authority groups, uh, whatever you want to call it. Out there, they they are they are very two faced, and apparently Tracy's reporting dug up uh, some email communication between this bigwig guy and and the church or church members that seems to indicate they're trying to use this outside guy as a front or for cover for air cover, so it doesn't look like Scientology is doing exactly what Scientology is doing which is grabbing up parcels of land all over Clearwater because they want to control that territory. It really needs to be appreciated by everybody concerned that even though the 1970s are ancient history, and a lot of folks even watching this today weren't even born back then, you have to understand and appreciate just how long the memories of Scientologists are and their intention to manifest L. Ron Hubbard's intention, and that now, of course, being David Miscavige's intention. They call this command intention uh, because, you know, Hubbard and Miscavige are the ones in command. And what they want is what Scientology is doing. It's it's what it's all always been about. And so they very much want to get back at Clearwater's government for not supporting them. But more importantly, they want to control that city. Uh, I really don't think that's a controversial statement. Scientology certainly wouldn't, you know, they're, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. In the same way, they're like, oh, no, 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 we're not anti-LGBT. They're just lying. Of course, that's what they want. They're, it's, a, it's a group that is based on power and control. That's what it's all about. And, and uh, what was it? Operation Normandy was the original layout from Hubbard to take over Clearwater. He wanted to own that town and uh, not have to deal with uh, nonsense from the government or city officials or, um, you know, taxation and, and all kinds of stuff. Hubbard was a megalomaniac and he wanted to be in charge. And he wanted to have safe haven from the forces of evil uh, psychiatry and governments and all of that that were trying to stop Scientology's abuses. Nobody cares about Scientology's wacky beliefs. Believe whatever the hell you want, but stop abusing people. That's what it's always been about. Always, always, always. And there, and we really, I, um, I try really hard to stay, you know, to stay focused on that, that, that measure, or that that take on things. Okay, so. That all being said, I really hope you'll check out Tracy's story. She breaks it all down, and it's quite interesting. And, of course, the church and this developer and other people are just denial, denial, denial. So we'll see what comes of this. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, She's clearly got some kind of evidence, uh, some kind of email communications that indicate that maybe not everybody is being as upfront as they should be about this. All right. Um, so... Thank you, guys. Looking through the comments here. All right. So, um, oh, good. I'm glad you guys liked the podcast I did with John. It was a little, it was kind of ridiculously long. <laughs> um, I am going to make an effort, and I'm and I'm I'm still thinking through how to do this because you know you guys like me for who I am and what I'm doing. Thank you. Um, I want to try to appeal to more folks, and I'm thinking maybe, you know, not necessarily shorter 
just for the sake of being shorter, but, but, you know, maybe cut out some of the fat (laughs) in some of my shows, try to get, you know, more to the point on certain things and maybe try to lighten up a little bit. I I know I come across real super serious. I'm not, uh, I wish I was funnier. Uh, There was this, there was this uh, statement the other day I read about how I can't remember the exact quote. I posted it on on Twitter or Facebook or something. It had to do with um, if you want to tell people the truth, you have to make them laugh or they'll kill you. You know, something like that. If you don't make people laugh when you're when you're trying to educate them, then they'll then they'll just kill you. And I feel a little. I I can appreciate that that quote. I wish I was funnier, and I'm going to try to lighten things up a little bit in my shows as well, and see see where that goes. Uh, without being ridiculous or or silly, because I don't want to be silly. I just I want to be um, educational, informational, and and entertaining. So, anyway, working on that. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's start taking questions here. So Vernon asks. Uh, let's see if we can throw this up on the. Uh, oh no. Oh yeah. Sorry. Let's flip. Here we go. Okay, good. Yeah, now we should have flipped over to this screen here so you can see the comments on the screen. And you can see Vernon's question up there. Is it true that LRH didn't like blacks and Asians? I believe in his recordings they had to take out all the racist words of these two racial groups. Yes, that is true, Vernon. They absolutely edited Hubbard's lectures. And also, Hubbard wouldn't just talk. A lot of the recordings, or some of the recordings, excuse me, from Hubbard, were not just the, re- the the lecture itself, but also some of the pre-lecture banter between Hubbard and the audience before things would get started. And sometimes there were, you know, very super specific things said about Mary Sue Hubbard and how awesome she was and about various other Scientology principles or personalities that were around at the time. And sometimes there were some off-color references to minorities. And, of course, Hubbard would also, during his lectures, make certain references to things and use words that we now find rather offensive and kind of gross. And I've addressed Hubbard's racism before and how he it was racist. He absolutely had racist ideas and attitudes about minorities. Um, he was your classic trope of the Midwestern white guy born in 1911, raised in the Midwest, um, you know, raised on attitudes of uh, racial inferiority of others and the inherent greatness of whites and that sort of thing. And he wasn't full-blown KKK or anything. He wasn't, I, didn't, I didn't get that Hubbard was that far down the spectrum because I think he was more of a, if anything, I would classify Hubbard as more of a misandrist. I don't think he really liked people, period. He wanted to make everybody his slaves, according to his affirmations. He wasn't picking on any one minority group over others, but his language and his, um, and his thinking definitely indicated that he thought less of minority groups. I think he you know, said something about uh, the only thing wrong with uh, you know, China. China would be a great place except for all the you know, people there, uh, that kind of thing. I don't even want to repeat the words that he used, but you know, that, this is kind of Hubbard's thing. Um, so yes, so it, so it is true. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't even know that it was so much that Hubbard didn't like blacks or Chinese or other minorities so much as he just looked down on them from a kind of a, you know, attitude, just kind of a, well, obviously 
I'm superior, we're superior. Obviously, you guys, as a racial group or ethnic minority, are inferior. You're, you know, you're not educated properly. Your culture is backwards. Your history indicates savagery and brutality. And look at the white race, which has, you know, developed civilization and that kind of thing. And of course, at the same time, Hubbard could be intensely critical of, uh, of whites and white culture and and history. Uh, so, you know, so it was a mixed bag. That's the thing about Hubbard and Scientology, of course, is you can find all, you can almost find anything you want there uh, to back up almost any, you know, take you want to have in, in one way or another. But the collective product of all of that is something awful. Uh, it doesn't go in good places, it goes in bad places. So that's what I can say about that. Thanks for asking about that, Verna. It was a good question. Um, all right, let's see what else we've got here. Um, okay, Raymond Vanderstelt. Here's a great question and something that, to- that Tori Magoo would often go out of her way to talk about, and so I will now too. Um, so let's, let's take up this question here. There is so much Scientology-related content from different creators on YouTube nowadays. It is hard to keep up. How does Scientology, OSA, deal with this, and what are their tactics? Okay, a great question. And this also gives me an opportunity to say out loud again something that I have said before, but I want to I put this in words really openly, okay? Just because you hear me express negativity, negative opinions or ideas about my attitude or thinking about certain other YouTubers and their content, and I'm not referring to just one person. I've been doing this for 10 years. I've seen a lot of people come and go. I've seen all kinds of things that you, some of you are familiar with and some of you aren't. So when I talk about other YouTubers, I'm talking about historically, I'm talking about now, I'm talking about people I have disagreements with, people I agree with. Who cares, right? My opinion is just my opinion. All of us are necessary. All of us. Okay? Let me say that again. All of us are necessary. Okay? And I don't begrudge anybody else's efforts to try to expose Scientology, no matter how they're doing it. Whether I agree on the effectiveness of it or not is a whole other issue. Their right to do it, my desire to have them do it, the need for more people to be speaking out about this has never been greater Okay, so I so you know I, I get these I I, cry, I see comments from people sometimes and they don't come to my channel, they go to other channels and they you know they complain about me or they say I'm somehow got some, you know chip on my shoulder or this or that. I'm expressing opinions and I have the right to have those. So that's that. Okay, so I want to be super clear that I want all the content out there, all of it. Now, that being said, what does OSA do about this? They try to sow discord. That's what they do. And when you see anonymous accounts running around on different channels, bad-mouthing different channels to each other and talking about how this person's good and this person's bad and this person is, is uh, egotistical and this person is, is uh, wonderful and a saint, 
you're looking at people who are trying to rile up discontent and, and sow disarray and problems and make issues and create drama. That is a very, very real thing that OSA does. They are kind of insanely attacking Leah and Mike and, and, and Yasher Ali, a, a non-Scientology reporter, and other people on Twitter right now. They're really going to town. And my policy on that is just ignore them. They just want engagement. That's all they want. So just leave, literally block and move on. That is the, really the best tactic for dealing with that, my opinion. I know other people have other opinions. They want to engage. They want to convince these people. They want to take them down. You know, okay, go for it. But it really just feeds their machine. They love it when we are, you know, involved in and, and engaging with them. And that applies on YouTube as well. You see negative comments about this creator on some other creator's channel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, Chris Shelton's a dickhead or, you know, Aaron Smith-Levin doesn't know what he's talking about or blah, blah, blah. Let's just not do any of that. It only serves their purposes. And this is what Tori comes out and talks about a lot. And she's 100% right. Osa's job is to create through misdirection, through lies, through through rumor mongering, through half-truths, their job is to disrupt this community and turn people away from it. And drama is the fastest, easiest way to do that. Right? Absolutely. And, you know, if, if any of my comments or opinions contribute to that, it's, you know, it's to my chagrin. Because it's not what I want. Um, I want to tell the truth. I want to be able to say my opinions about things. But I'm not trying to sow so much discord and unrest and problems and finger pointing at other channels that you guys get turned off from the whole subject or you think, oh, God, this is just so much drama. That's what OSA wants. And that's how they go about doing what they do. Um and, they, and it doesn't take a whole lot of people on Osa's part to be able to do that. You got one guy, he can create 10 different accounts, you know, with, with different profile names and pictures and various things, and they just start riling people up. And that is one of their f- most favorite go-to tactics. So, um, so... That's uh, Raymond. What I can say as far as um, is how do they're dealing with it and what are some of their tactics. So thank you for thank you for asking. That's a good question. Um, yes, yes, love food kitchen. Thank you uh, for this comment. I will definitely be uh, trying to arrange to get Rod and Linda onto my podcast. And uh, definitely want to arrange more guests for the Friday show. It is so much fun to bring in uh, outside guests for that for that show. All right. Um, okay. Hmm. I'll throw this up here and I'll answer this, Vernon. Um, I'm loath to bring my parents and my family into this any more than to say, no, I've not seen any evidence of Scientology fair gaming my family or doing anything uh, at all towards them. Uh, it would be incredibly ineffective on their part. You know, there, there really isn't anything there to go after or attack. 
Um, and I'm thankful for that. They don't, they don't have anything to do with what I do here um, at all. They're my family. They are, they, we don't even hardly talk about this stuff. Uh, it's funny how as a content creator, you develop a following and your opinions matter and you're putting stuff out there. And then, um, and then your family and friends are kind of like, yeah, whatever. I don't get that, that, you know, they know you at a whole different level. It's, it's, it's kind of fun. Okay. So there's that. Let's carry on here. Um, Science CNN will have the first of a four-part special airing the HBO docuseries Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults today at 8 p.m. Are you going to watch it? Um, probably not. I have, a, I have a tremendous backlog of um, shows I need to watch and get to. It's, been, uh, it's hard to get to the documentaries and all of the work on that stuff because... I already know most of what they're talking about almost all the time. And um, some of the spin on it is actually a little annoying from my end. And that, you know, and that's one of the reasons I need to watch it, though, and give you guys some reviews and stuff on that. I'm not saying all the content out there is awful. It's not. There is some fantastic content. You heard me recently talk about that Larry Ray documentary, Stolen Youth, on, uh, on Hulu. Oh, man, was that good. So, uh, you know, so I'm not trying to prejudge this one either. I just, I'm just making the comment that some content is better than other content. Some is a little bit more, let's massage the trauma of this than it is about, you know, relating facts and, 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 uh, and actual true data. But I, I know, I don't know about this one on CNN tonight, um, but Heaven's Gate is absolutely, absolutely fantastic fascinating as a story um marshall applewhite's personal story how he developed the cult how people just openly got involved in something that was absolutely insane and ended up giving up their lives for it i mean it was a tragedy of the highest order and the families of these people just could just you know watch and stare at (coughs) at how off the rails they had gone very very tiny group of people um the cult of cults i don't know that's you know sure um but uh, anyway i'm sure eventually i will get to watching that but it probably won't be tonight all right uh let's see what else we got here yes you'll definitely get more john atac um he and i in fact are recording our next podcast tomorrow um yes that's interesting <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Um, All right. Okay, Xion asks, would you say outing Manhattan District Attorney's wife exposing her whereabouts to radical followers is using fair game tactics? Also Raffensperger. Um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what fair game tactics are all about. Scientology doesn't hold the corner, corner of the market on, on awful behavior and, and vengeful, vindictive behavior. This is human beings 101. This is what people do. Scientology just happens to have formalized it into the dogma, into the literal scriptures of their quote-unquote religion. 
Um, but the vindictive, you know, doxing and outing and going after and exposing people who, you know, uh, are just trying to uphold the, you know, the letter of the law is disgusting. It's disgusting. Um, and the reasons for that were laid out on my show on Friday. I talked extensively about, you know, so, so, so the society and the rule of law and the, and the necessity of that. And so when we see, you know, some of these extremist uh, protesters, and we see it on both ends of the equation, engaging in fair game tactics, know what you're looking at, right? You're looking at cultic behavior. And that, there's a point that really needs to be made about this. Man, I don't know that I've said this out loud as, as loudly as it needs to be said, you know, I've talked about, I've said many times that when you are dealing with extremists at either end of, of a spectrum, religious, political, social, sports, whatever, you're dealing with people who can't think critically. They can't allow themselves to question their dogma, their belief set, their ideas, their principles, whatever it is. They're so righteous. They're so hepped up on their rightness that they can't even contemplate that they could be wrong. And that right there justifies any level of atrocity. But it also highlights another point. They're not on the side of truth. What they're almost universally, I see this over and over again, almost every single time you find these extremist people doing these extremist things where they're going to go out and violate other people's civil and human rights on purpose, premeditatedly, because they're the bad guys and we got to get them. Almost universally, you will find that they are basing all of their righteousness on total bullshit. It's just not true. What they're actually fighting for isn't even true most of the time. And I'll say most of the time. They've riled themselves up into this you know, exaggerated level of they're trying to kill us. They're trying to destroy America. They're trying to destroy all our systems. They're unpatriotic. They're this. They're that. It's all bullshit. They're living in a lie. And those lies justify their atrocious behavior. And they can't think their way out of it. They can't even question any part of it. They've lost that ability. Totally gone. They've become, I don't know, what do you want to call them? Spectrum zombies? Like ideological, like automatons? They're not really thinking human beings. They're, they're, they're a autonomous human beings. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they're not human. I'm saying that they're not thinking. They're just reactionary, responding, incendiary, tear it all down, destroy it. And, and that's, there's always so many lies connected with that. So, uh, so yeah, that's not good, right? That is definitely not good. You, you know, it's not even the right target. I mean, here you are, you have a problem with something a district attorney has done in the course of his or her job, Okay, take it up with their professional ethics committee. Take it up with their with the, with them. Take it up with their 
with their organization, but to go after their family? What the hell is wrong with you? What? What? How? You know? But this is exactly the kind of thing I'm I'm talking about. Is it doesn't matter. Anything is justified. Anything, because they're evil and they must be destroyed. Ah. God, human beings are like the worst when it comes to all of that. They really, really are. We're just, we're just so, we get so full of ourselves. All right. So, um, okay. So let's move on. See what other questions we've got here. Um, okay. Wednesday, Thursday. Thanks, Terry. Understood. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, pretty heavy. Yep. Okay. Well, Mondays, Mondays we've got our chats with uh, my my chat with Tony. That goes up every Monday. That's, you know, like this week, I think it's about 20 minutes. Uh, we're trying to keep them short and to the point. And uh, that's the Straight Up and Vertical show, which we started. If you guys haven't seen that, I'd recommend checking it out. It posts here Mondays at noon. So you'll see that tomorrow. But understood on the point there. And I always like doing uh, surprise bonus live streams on Wednesdays and Thursdays anyway. So... Good, uh, good point there, Terry. All right, Vernon asks, if Scientology loses their tax exemption, will the Sea Org still pay the weekly $50 to its workers? Um, yeah, 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 I think they would because they did. That's When we look at Scientology's period of no tax exemption from 1967 through 1993, that's pretty much the kind of behavior we can predict out of Scientology. They didn't have tax exemption all those decades. And they paid their Sea Org members, uh, you know, a weekly wage, and they did various other things. So I say a wage. It's really pocket change. But um, that's pretty much how they would continue, you know, continue to behave. And it would be, you know, what you would see is even more coals poured on the fundraising. If you think it's bad now, whoa. It can get even worse. And the, um, you know, sort of the incendiary language and rhetoric they would use about how the government's coming after them and trying to take out religion. And they would get more traction if they lost their tax exemption. They, believe it or not, they would actually get more allies and traction with other religious groups who are also terrified of losing their tax exemption. And so they would gain allies in that fight against the government on the basis that, you know, they're persecuting us minority religions. And as you guys know, all of the, you know, religious scholar academics, the pro-cult um, uh, new religious movement, NRM scholars, we call them, uh, would line up to submit, you know, papers and, and they'd even get lawyers involved to submit, uh, you know, things to uh, overturn this and, and get their tax exemption back. That would be their 100% focus if they lost their tax exemption. But, I, you know, the, the, the roadmap between where we're at now and Scientology losing its tax-exempt status is a, is a long one. That's not happening tomorrow or the next day unless there's some incredible investigation brewing right now that I don't know anything about, which there could be. That's the whole point of, you know, covert investigations on the part of the IRS or the government is we're not supposed to know about them. So it could be that that's happening. But given that, you know, we're, we're not seeing any indications of that, um, I don't see any reason to believe that Scientology is going to be losing their tax-exempt status anytime soon. I would, I would love to see that. 
Um, but it's not necessarily the death knell for Scientology that some would believe. It, it, you know, it would definitely, definitely hurt them. Absolutely. Uh, it would be a problem. But they'd still have religious status in the courts. They would still have First Amendment protections. And they would still be able to get away with a tremendous amount of stuff that they currently get away with. Okay. Uh, still, very important to get it done. Okay. Don't take my words as, uh, well, it's not. It's so not important that we shouldn't do it. Of course we should. I don't think that, and you'll see a podcast coming from me uh, soon, actually, in the next couple of weeks, where um, another content creator and I actually discuss tax exemption and religious organizations. That's kind of what the show is mostly about. So you guys can watch for that. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, yes. Oh, this is a great question. Um, let me get, let me find that again. I always get. Yes. Okay. Juliana asks, oh, this is one of my favorites. Um, have you watched Severance? If so, thoughts? Oh, I have so many thoughts. I actually want to do, again, whole review of it. Season one of Severance has got to be one of the best shows ever in just, in just kind of like showing the duality of a cult versus non-cult mindset. I mean, it's it's. I mean, they really came up with a very clever mechanism or or um, way of showing the duality of it. Of in uh, the and in the Severance show, they they do they, it happens with the same people. Like there's a there's a, a a thing where you go work for this company and um, and you have no memory when you go into the building. They've implanted something in you. Where when you go into the building and go down this elevator, you become somebody, you become a version of yourself that has no recollection of your outside life. You're just there working. And so because you're not encumbered by any of the outside sorrows or problems or issues of your life or memories of your life or family or anything, you don't have any concept of what your separate life is, your real life. You're this company-owned personality, and they, you only know what the company's telling you during those times that you're down there, and then when you leave, you have no memory of what happened to you when you were downstairs. You don't, you, nothing. It's just a total blank, and this is the agreement these employees have made for working for this company, and it's insane. It's absolutely nuts why anybody would want to do that. But that's what's being explored in the show is that sort of concept of, well, what if you could just like show up to work and not have to re even remember it? Wouldn't that be great if you just showed up, did your work, go home at night, and it's all just a, it, it, it just happens like that as far as your external personality is concerned. What a concept. It's so original. But it demonstrates that whole thing that Steve Hassan talks about of the pre-cult versus the cult personality. Because what's going on downstairs in this company is pretty evil. There's some nasty stuff going on down there. And for you to not have any memory of that and to hand over your rights to your own memory and, and your literally your own identity to a company is the height of stupidity. It's the dumb, It's the single dumbest move anybody could ever make. But these people do it, and they because they, they're sold on the benefits of it. And this is it's a like I said, it's a fascinating mechanism. 
it demonstrates an awful lot of the cult stuff that we talk about here. Um, you know, the milieu control, for example. I mean, talk about a controlled environment. And then they're feeding them, you know, the personalities, the, the version of you that ends up down there is only learning and knowing history according to what they're telling you. Who knows what the truth is? You're locked into this bubble world, literally, where they own you. It's, uh, it's, it's really good. So I, I can't recommend it enough. All right, let's carry on here. Oh, I think we might have had a super chat here. Let me run down and see. Did I? Oh, thank you, Marilyn, for your support. Very appreciated. Just want to make sure I didn't miss any question there. Let's see. All right, Vernon asks, another good question. You're full of them today, Vernon. Um, if someone becomes a staff member at a local org, will they immediately witness or experience abuse? No, absolutely not. There's a remember the boiling frog principle, right? It's going to start slow. It's it's ramped up very slowly because they otherwise you're going to leave. And if that does happen, people do leave. I mean, I, I shouldn't say, oh no, no, because of course, yes, that could absolutely happen. Let me give you an example. Uh, let me let me tell you a story. Um, when I was a, a student, a staff, uh, not a public, or sorry, not a staff member yet, I was still a 15, 16-year-old student in um, Santa Barbara, California at the Church of Scientology there, and I would go on course, and I would go into the course room upstairs. It was a two-level building, and the main academy, the big-time courses, were upstairs. So I'd go up there, and I'd work on my courses, and right on the other side of the wall, not 10 feet from me, were the executive director's office. And she was a Sea Org member. Her name was Carol Monroe. She's no longer with us. She died of cancer uh, many, many years ago. But she was hell on wheels. She was a Sea Org member who had been sent to Santa Barbara to whip the place in shape and, uh, and run it, not just on a temporary basis, but she was posted there. And she was one of the most awful people um, and she, and I would listen to her rip into her staff every day that I was going on course to the point where it was, it was distracting to the student. She'd be screaming bloody murder. Where are those goddamn stats? You better fucking get your goddamn stats up or I'm going to fucking have you scrubbing the bathroom with a toothbrush you motherfucker i mean she was just furious with the staff constantly this was her method of dealing with down statistics is she would just rip your face off and this was so common that it would be distracting. Like you'd be trying to study and, and I'd go to the soup. I'd be like, man, can we, you know, like I can't study with her yelling at people. And the supervisor would go over and kind of poke his head in. Hey, hi. Um, you know, we got students studying. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Five minutes later, you motherfucker. Like it didn't matter. Right. She didn't care. And um, yeah, that was not that was not fun to experience. Well, 
two years, you know, a year or two later, they're recruiting me to be staff and they're pumping me up on saving the world and saving the planet. And this woman scared the hell out of me. She was a barrier to getting me on staff. But once I, you know, but then shortly after I got on staff, she actually was recalled and and somebody else was put in charge. But that would be um, very, you know, yeah, very abusive behavior that was being witnessed by me as a public before I was even a staff member. And what, you know, could I, would I have endured that as a new staff member there? Yeah, absolutely. I would have. Um, so that, yeah, so absolutely that kind of thing can happen. Um, but there were other organizations I went to over the years because I got a chance to go to tons of organizations all over the Western United States from Hawaii to Kansas City to, to Twin Cities. And, um, and everyone had different people running them with different approaches to how they interpreted Hubbard. Some would yell and scream and others wouldn't. Others were like, yeah, we're not doing that, right? I don't, I don't want to treat my staff that way. And they were not necessarily abusive towards them. Uh, they didn't yell and scream all the time and rant and rave. And here I'm referring to, say, Kansas City or Twin Cities. They were a bit lighter. Um, it was kind of interesting how the closer you came into California, the closer you came in proximity to the Sea Org, was kind of the degree, you know, how you could predict how out of control the executives of those organizations would be. The Los Angeles organization, the the San Jose organization, Stevens Creek, um, San Francisco, um, you know, the Valley organization. I mean, these places had executives that would just rip your face off as soon as look at you. So it was kind of proximity to the Sea Org where you kind of got it where you'd see the Sea Org influence on the staff and the abuses that would be, you know, rained down on them as a result. All right. Let's see where we go from here. Great questions today. Okay, here's a good question. Um, do you, as a Thetan, carry your body Thetans with you to the next body you pick up? If so, shouldn't they be called Thetan Thetans? This is a good question because it's not super clear. At least it wasn't to me. This was one of the things that I went, wait a minute, what? If, if you've got a bunch of Thetans connected to you or strapped onto you that you have to exorcise off of you, and those body Thetans have been attached to you for 76 million years, then they're clearly not your body. But they're called body Thetans, and the only reason that you can see any manifestation of your body, according to L. Ron Hubbard, is because you have body Thetans. And by removing all the body Thetans and exorcising them, by getting rid of them, freeing them, you are turning your body invisible to your Thetan eyes. This is, a, this is one of the end results of OT7, is your, is your body is supposed to kind of disappear on you or something. It's really weird. I've never been able to get my wits around how any of that is supposed to make sense, but that's what I've read and been told, and it's like, what? It, it, it's such a weird kind of contradictory thing that doesn't really make any sense that I, that I strain my brain that people at the OT levels can understand this or, or think about it clearly, and 
And it's interesting how a lot of people I've talked with who did the OT levels, who got to OT7 or OT8, themselves can't really explain this. They did the levels and they can barely tell you what the levels consist of or what they were even doing or what it was all about or what they were thinking about it. It's all sort of either faded in memory or it's kind of this weird jumble or they'll tell you they didn't really think about it very much. They were just trying to focus on doing the process or doing the procedure. Just read the e-meter, write it down, read the e-meter, write it down. Go in session, go in session. I mean, these are people on OT7 who are going in session three, four, five times a day for five to 10 minutes, of, you know, 20 minutes at a stretch. They're short sessions. And I think, that, you know, the whole theory of it just kind of went by the wayside. They didn't really think too much about it. They were just trying to do the level, just get through the level. So it's it's been a weird thing trying to figure this out over the years because I didn't do the OT levels. I've read them. I've read through the, the issues uh, that we have available to us about them. But, man, it, it, questions like this, you just go, well, I, I mean, I think, I guess, but not really. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. So it's... So it's kind of hard to answer this one, and this was one of the this this question was one of the first things that occurred to me when I did first read the OT levels all those years ago, going down the rabbit hole, and I was just like, "That doesn't make any sense," and it hasn't made any sense since then. <laughs> so that's the really the best answer I can give you, Exion. I, I I don't know, and I don't even know where to find the answer to that. But I will keep, you know, it's not like I've read everything. So if it, if and when I do happen to get clarification on that exact question, I'll definitely let you guys know because it'll be illuminating to me too as to where, where people are thinking with that. Okay, let's see how we're doing here. All right. Um, Yeah, I was talking about Democrats for about five minutes. <laughs> I was talking about all of them. That's right. Um, yes, definitely talking about that. All right. Um, yeah, I hear you on um, on John. We John, you know, the valid criticism, absolutely valid criticism, and that's why I almost laughingly was saying this week that our podcast was almost satirically long. I mean, it was two and a half hours, and it. It really could have been whittled down, and, and I am going to work on um, both of us not not necessarily rambling as much as we both kind of get up to when we get together. Oh, okay, here's a good question. Uh, where in Scientology auditing would you learn how to break out of the forget and rebirth cycle trap and how to stay away from implant stations? Technically speaking, there is no place in your auditing where you learn how to do that. Um, this is something you're made aware of as soon as you start reading Scientology materials concerning you know, implant stations and, um, and the cycle of birth and death and all of that. Hubbard says that the solution to the problem of kicking off and not, you know, not coming back the way you want to is training. Scientology training is what's supposed to give you the knowledge to be able to prevent um, 
the awareness, I guess you could say, of what to expect or what it looks like, what an implant station is, how they operate, you know, through flows and tractor beams and they suck you in. Or they they present aesthetic traps like, ooh, look at the shiny thing. And you start moving toward it as a phaeton and then you're getting sucked in like the Millennium Falcon into the Death Star and you're and you're trapped and you're stuck there and you're and you're you know stuck to a pole and you can't get off right because the more energy you put into trying to get off the pole the more it's using your energy against you to keep you trapped to it right so the only way to get off is to actually kind of stop put stop trying so hard to get off of it let it go right just uh, right stop exerting all that energy and it won't, and it won't be able to hold on to you as easily these little tips and tricks brought to you by Elron Hubbard are all throughout the Scientology literature in lectures and books history of man for example but there's also bulletins he covered it extensively in the early 1960s in in various uh, Hubbard bulletins from that time those red on white issues and, of course, he gave whole lectures about it. There's a lecture called the Helotropus Implants, and there's uh, other lectures where Hubbard uh, gives you little bits and pieces of how implant stations work. And the cycle of birth and rebirth and all of that is something that apparently we're all kind of trapped in because you can't really associate very well with other thetans in this world, in this, on this planet, unless you have a body. Right, if you're a ghost or a spirit or a disembodied, you know, cor- dis- uh, what is it, uh, non-corporeal entity, <laughs> then uh, people are afraid of you. People are scared of you. They're they're terrified of ghosts. Right? They don't want to. They don't want to interact with any of that. And I keep pointing to uh, the Ghostbusters movie as a as an example of kind of you know how that how that how Scientologists think about ghosts and and thetans. So, um. Yeah, so where do you where do you learn how to break out of all of that? Um, ultimately, the idea within Scientology culture is that getting up to OT8 is that point where you're really free. Okay, after OT7's done and you've and you've done OT8, the first true OT level, you're you're clear. You're you're good. You're you're not gonna keep getting stuck in all of this. So that's kind of the point that I thought of and many other Scientologists I knew when I was in thought of as that's the goal, right? And and then, of course, you want to get up the rest of those OT levels, but they're not released yet. So good luck with that. Uh, yeah, okay. So that's that one. Um, oh, hey, Poe here. Cool. All right. Thank you for that. Ex-Cyan. All right, here's another one. Got a letter from CLO West US saying that they wanted to give me a CSR factor that the clear certainty rundown has been put back to exactly the way LRH intended them to be. Comment? Is this not more of the same? It's the same line. They, they, Miscavige really isn't very imaginative. This whole concept of we've restored it back to the way L. Ron Hubbard intended it to be has been a has been a recycled trope that has been in existence in Scientology ever since Hubbard died. 
Now, Hubbard died in 1986, and the very first revision of all of the materials of Scientology, or a good chunk of them, happened in 1987-1988, when they converted a bunch of the reel-to-reel lectures. They they were on reel-to-reel tape machines. They converted those to cassette tapes. And they released all of the lower auditing uh, training bridge and materials. They put them in binders. Uh, and not instead, they, they had been in loose packs before. And they did a real kind of cleanup and, and tidying up of, the, um, of a lot of the materials of training uh, in Scientology. And this was exactly, this was presented, this whole new revised bridge to total freedom right after right just a couple years after hubbard died this was the first time that the bridge had been restored to exactly the way l ron hubbard intended it bottom to top all the books all the stuff and then 1995 came around with the golden age 1996 with the golden age of tech where they restored all the training back to the way L. Ron Hubbard intended it to be. And then came the basics in 2004, where they restored all the books exactly the way L. Ron Hubbard intended them to be. Right? And they got rid of all those 10,000 semicolons, and then they went through and found all those editors and stenographers and, and t- typists who had, who had all been suppressive people and had totally mutilated L. Ron Hubbard's work, although somehow they missed all of that. Uh, oh, looks like a troll or something. Let's go ahead and get rid of that guy. Um, so... They went through it all again, right? And then Golden Age of Tech 2 happened in 2013. And guess what? It was all restored back to the way L. Ron Hubbard intended. You get the pattern, right? Obviously. It's just more of the same. So those are my those are my comments on that. Uh yeah, good stuff. Um Yes. Oh boy. Aren't trolls fun? Okay, let's see. We'll go back up here to the questions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I do have the wrong banner up there, don't I? Hmm. I wonder if I can do something about that from here. Maybe. There we go. Thanks for noticing. Thought I caught everything before I went live. All right. Go back up to the top here. Huh. Yeah. Xion asked, do you ever wish that you hadn't paid your freeloader debt or that you could get that money back again? Yeah. Yeah, it was $5,000 down the tubes. That that did suck. Um, I... Yeah, be nice to have an extra $5,000. Of course, that was 10 years ago, but, you know. All right. Um, cool. Let's carry on here. Okay, good. Use guys. Okay, I saw the Andrew Gold interview with Katie Loman. Would you like to have Katie Loman on your channel as a follow-up? I 
I would. I would love to have a conversation with Katie Loman. I am 100% positive she's never coming on my channel while she's uh, an active Scientologist. She went on Andrews because Andrews not a not a former Scientologist, and he's not declared suppressive. I am. So if Katie were to ever have one word with me, the church would excommunicate her, declare her a suppressive person immediately. Uh, so, you know, my chances of ever talking to her are pretty slim to none. But I would absolutely have her on my show and I would absolutely uh, talk to her about a whole range of things. And that would actually be, that would be quite an interesting, quite an interesting show. All right, let's see what else we got here. Um, yeah, I would, I would very much like to see this too, Hans, a uh, sneak peek at how she's fared. I'm pretty sure that Scientology has tracked down these people who have, whose interviews we've found or gotten and, and they're not, I, I don't think they're getting, uh, having a good time. Uh, Scientology is not, not down for that kind of thing. Um, all right, let's see here. Yeah, thanks for that uh, that title thing, guys. Really st sorry I screwed that up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, I'll answer this one because this is kind of fun. Excientos asks, Scientology had and still has a big influence on your life. Do you ever wonder what your life would have been like had you never encountered it? Do you ever wish it never had? Yes, of course. Um, I've wondered about it, and I have wished that Scientology had never entered my life. And then I think in the ex – and I can't help myself. I think right after that, the very first thought I had was – or I have is – and maybe I would have gotten hit by a car when I was 22 or something. I mean, you know, you never know what influence does this kind of thing have on you. Uh, would you still have, you know, assuming that you were still alive and that the life choices that you made, had you not gone that route, had led you to an even worse route rather than a better one? I mean, who's to say? It's it's a real mind bender. I mean, I had all kinds of flaws and, and stupidities as a kid, and I still do, of course. And I, I was capable of making all kinds of dumbass decisions. I had a real, I mean, assuming and thinking that I would have operated on the, the path that I was on had Scientology not been as strong an influence in my life, I think I would have been uh, much more susceptible to peer pressures, to taking drugs at an early age. I was exposed to that, and I didn't do it because I was around because I was a Scientologist or had Scientology morals. Um, I thought when I look back on that, I think of that as a net positive. Um, you know, I, me and drugs as a teenager would not have been a good mix. <laughs> um, you know, and then I think about my path as, as pursuing writing or, you know, pursuing perhaps a, a degree as an English teacher or something. That was the path I was on. I was trying to basically follow in Stephen King's footsteps. Uh, and I thought I could do it. I thought I could pull it off. And maybe I could have. Maybe I could have been a fiction writer of some kind. Would I have had success? God, who knows, right? I mean, these are definitely the kind of things I wonder about. Would I have had a, a family? Would I have... <laughs> would I have found any success? I, 
It's so hard to say. Or would something else have come along that would have been even more amazing and thrust me in some other direction, in a science direction or in some other, you know, uh, career path? I, I've, I've often wondered about that. And that's, you know, that's one of those things where the, you know, the, you start thinking about the multiverse and all the different incarnations of all the different possibilities of what could have happened to you. So, you know, so the answer is sure. I've definitely thought about those things. But I, once I've done, once I've kind of finished fantasizing and thinking about all of that, I think to myself, well, you know, this is the path that I've been on. And it got me here. And it got me in a place where I'm not just writing fiction. I'm actually um, writing nonfiction. I'm, I'm able to help. I'm able to educate. I'm able to inform. And I'm able to help people out of sticky situations and I'm able to work with people one-on-one and help them out of those situations or advise or give some direction to people who otherwise wouldn't have it. And that makes me feel really good about myself and about what I'm trying to do. And so um, so not a lot of regrets there, right? Not a lot of regrets uh, in that, despite all the, all the uh, awful of it. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, there you go. All right. Oh, yeah, Raymond, great question. Nobody's ever asked me this one before. What Scientology site would you like to visit anywhere in the world if you had the opportunity? For example, a CST location, any org or St. Hill Manor. I'll tell you where is International Archives. I want to go through Hubbard's journals and books and Excalibur. Uh, I really, really would love to see that. It it apparently is a real book, and they really do have a copy of it up at uh, the archives. And so I guess Church of Spiritual Technology, I think that's that's where the archives are, or wherever wherever those L. Ron Hubbard archives are located is the place I want to visit. I don't care about, you know any other particular location. St. Hill's nice and other places are nice and you know I'm sure they're very scenic, but I want to see the materials. That's where I would go in a in a second. Uh oh, that would be interesting to to get hold of his um, you know, of Hubbard's journals as a as a kid, his diaries, his writings, his unedited unredacted lectures the masters of all of that, that's all with archives, right? That's what I would like to see is really put together the real history of Scientology. Oh, not the, not the whitewashed one. That would be, that'd be something. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, if OTs in Florida can steer hurricanes away from Clearwater, what's stopping them from steering rain to fall over states experiencing droughts? Nothing. Nothing at all. Uh Uh-huh. And you can see how successful they are at doing that. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe we're already an hour into this. Let's go a little bit further down and then we'll see about wrapping up. I cannot believe it has already been this long. Uh, great stuff, you guys. Really good questions today. Um, let's see here. 
Let's keep going. All right, Vernon asks, uh, what do you think of Trump's supporters? Do you think they will cause problems when he gets arrested on Tuesday? Um, I think Trump's supporters are regular people just like you and me who have various problems, issues, and attitudes with their lives and are trying to you know, find answers and solutions just like all of us are. And they're looking to a man who is not really uh, what he purports to be and is that, as I, as I said on Friday, is that really so different from every other politician out there? No, it's really not. You know, and are other, you know, are they all involved in criminal activity to one degree or another? Well, maybe not all of them. They're not all invo- involved. But Trumps are really out there. They're really loud and proud. The man has no real uh, shame. He doesn't have any, any ability to be shamed. And so we see so many things with him that we don't necessarily see so obviously with others. Uh, So I have a lot of um, sympathy and empathy and support for, you know, Trump supporters as human beings, just like I do for anybody else. My politics uh, or my political leanings or whatever don't don't make me hate people just because they have different ideas or, or they support different people than I do. Um, it's what people do that I judge them on, not what they think. And I know that there's an awful lot of Trump supporters out there who are trying to do the right thing as they see it. Um, so will there be trouble when Trump gets arrested? Well, from some of the extreme end of Trump supporters, yeah, there will be. Um, would there be trouble if, you know, uh, anyway, I don't even have to go there. Yes, I could see that there could be some trouble. Am I really worried about that trouble? Do I think that trouble is indicative of a growing civil war or something like that? No, I don't. I think there are a lot of rabble-rousers out there right now who are using these events to uh, sell things, sell ideas, and literally sell stuff um, and do fundraising and that sort of thing. So, you know... It's just kind of more of the usual human being nonsense, but uh, that's what I think about that. Um, I think also, of course, and I think I said this on Friday, is you know the rule of law is what is what unites all of us, and I think that it's a shame that some people can't see that or feel that the rule of law is somehow an, a, an oppressive system of abuse or something. It's not. Uh, it can be corrupted and abused, but in and of itself, it's not. It's it's the best thing we've got, and so uh, so I support its use. Okay. Um. <laughs> okay. Here's a good question, maybe to wrap up on as we move toward wrapping up here. Say Scientology TV actually starts a sci-fi series 10 seasons long with each one based on one of the Mission Earth books. Will you watch it? Absolutely, I would watch that. Ah, I would be highly entertained to see Scientology's interpretation of the Mission Earth books brought to life. It would be classic in the same way that Battlefield Earth is or the, um, what are those, uh, what are those Christian movies um the the one about the um uh about the apocalypse coming um they're based on those books i left behind the left behind series it would be like that it would be craptastic 
I would, uh, I'd absolutely tune into that or check that out. All right, and let's see here. Any quick other things before we can go? Um, okay, last question then. Pineapple Pizza. Uh, Mike Render's recent video showed various buildings maintained for Hubbard's return. Working at these buildings must be an easy and boring existence. Do people seek out these jobs? Um, no. No, they do not seek out those jobs. Uh, a boring existence in the Sea Org is not what you're there for. Um, you, you remember, people in the Sea Org are the fanatics of Scientology. They're not there to just get by or just get along or just, you know, or, or just fold clothes and clean rooms. That is, that is grunt work. It's, it's dumbass work. Nobody wants that work. It's more punishment. Um, you know, keeping up Hubbard's properties or whatever is just one of hundreds of things that people who are doing that work are doing. Because it's not that hard and it's not something they have to do that often. So... You know, so no, that's not that's not a sought after prized job in the Sea Org. Very, very few people are in the Sea Org to skate. They're there to work. They want to do things, and they want to do things that make them feel good about themselves and about what they're doing, and they want to contribute, and they want to feel that their work is important. And when they start feeling that it's not, and that their jobs or their life has no meaning whatsoever. That's when they want to leave. That's when they want to get out of there. So that's so that's the exact opposite of of, of what uh, they would want to do. All right, okay, guys. So thank you very much for uh, all the questions and everything. Um, Mel's doing fine. She's still got this really nasty cough right now, but she's otherwise she's doing all right. And uh, and I'm gonna wrap up the show here. So I will have a great day. Thank you very much, Xion, and thank you very much for you guys out there supporting the show. Um, yeah, and with that, let's go ahead and wrap up. All right, I will see you guys. Uh, well, I'll see you tomorrow on the Tony when Tony and I post our stuff. Otherwise, I'll see you when I see you. All right, bye-bye.